Hello, and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Stephanie Lenander to the show. Welcome, Stephanie. Welcome, Hi, Stephanie. Thanks. Thank you so guys you, for having me. So you are in the cashier's office. What is your official kind of title and what, what's your what's your day-to-day like inside of, of the cashier's office? I am. Um, so we are student finance slash the cashier's office. Uh, official title, we recently were reclassified for a job title. So it's now student finance and accounts receivable technicians. Um, so we are, you know, kind of split in two worlds is what we are. We are part student services and we're also part fiscal services. So we're a bit of a hybrid organization. So you are the money takers, but you only take money from students. Is that correct? Or in terms of what you handle? Um, for the most part, it's um, student finances, student accounts, um, but the accounts receivable aspect of it is a majority of the accounts receivable that come into the college. Um, so that's where that fiscal services element comes into it. Uh, it's a lot of district money. It's a lot of all the trust money that comes in as well. Um, trusts are in all facets, whether that be for athletics, for every single sport, every fundraiser, uh, and every subcategory of the sports, student clubs, Garvin Theater, um, the department. So we handle all of those receivables as well. Oh, wow. So it's a lot bigger piece of the pie than I thought. I thought it was just kind of like taking in the student monies and yeah. having to deal with like irate parents calling about this and that. But it's it's a much larger piece of the pie than that. Okay. Yeah. It's it a is. huge part. Exactly. You know, we have that's where you know our team is really split in a lot of different um, functions. Uh, Sandy does all the the district money that comes in from a lot of the the rentals and you know citizenship cosmetology program all wires. Um, Anna does third party billing. Um, she builds our promise program. She also takes care of all the child care billing, as well for Orphala. Um, so if anyone has their kids in Orphala, she's, she's the one taking your money there. And <laughs> so we're really widespread that hence why we kind of got that reclassification of differentiating that we are not only student accounts, but we're also accounts receivable almost as a whole. A lot of departments have their own smaller billing areas as well. Um, but that's why we are quite widespread in that aspect. Man, I just thought... Stopped- I just thought people showed up and paid their parking tickets and, and, and basically yell at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a part of what we do, you know, and that's a common misconception, you know, uh, there, there's been comments of, you know, well, what do you guys do besides, you know, count change and pennies and give students change for, you know, paying their tuition. It's like, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, was seeing, I was seeing the other side where it's like parents are calling you're like, nope. FERPA, FERPA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do use that line, unfortunately, a lot. <laughs> so, so funny. Uh, yeah, so we're we're pretty big in, in that sense that we, we have a lot of things on our plate. I think that's one of the great things about this podcast is you guys are kind of breaking down a lot of the common misconceptions and also opening people's eyes to, you know, what happens behind the scenes. And in our office, we... Work collaboratively with a lot of the programs. Anna, especially with her third-party billing, she's working with EOPS. Any programs that pay for student tuition and fees, she works hand-in-hand to make sh- with them to 
whether it be establishing a contract with those special programs to get those tuition fees paid. EOPS pays a lot of the mandatory fees for students, making sure that the foundation promise pays off student accounts, um, 529 college savings plans, third-party programs, Department of Rehab, the veterans benefits as well. There's a lot of uh, hands that we're, we're constantly shaking uh, <laughs> throughout our department. And, and that's kind of the, the, the underbelly of, of the bookkeeping process is when you have money coming from so many sources, like, yes, we get money from the state, but there's a lot of grant funding. There's a lot of temporary, like three to five year agreements that are coming in and out, cycling in and out. I mean, just bookkeeping on any level kind of scares me. Like even my own personal finances is kind of daunting and intimidating, but to do it on the scale that y'all do it on, I mean, it's a lot, you know, and it, and it, and it, it's something that preys on my kind of like in terms of who I am in, as a person, it, it, it makes, it's, it's the one thing that's nerve wracking to me is getting my books right, getting things balanced. So in terms of how y'all are handling all this stuff coming in and out and managing that and keeping track of these timelines while making sure the numbers work and things are balanced, like y'all, y'all do the Lord's work right there for sure. <laughs> I would, I would say that's all going to be Sandy. A lot of work in there is Sandy and Nicole in our department, um, Brittany as well. God, they, they are masters of what they do. Sandy, she recently celebrated 20 years with SBCC. And so she is our, we call her the historian because she <laughs> knows the ins and outs of, of that work. And she's incredible. Yo, I saw like, uh, you know, shout outs to, to her because I saw that she got her 20 years of recognition. And I was like, what? 20 years of City College? Why does she only look like she's 25? <laughs> Asian don't raise it. I was like, I was like, yo, she looks like she's 25 years old. How has she been at City College for 20 years? <laughs> you know, and it's one of the I I don't often you can't really tell when she's stressed out. And that's another thing that I give Sandy. She is always so calm and cool. When you get to really know her for a long time, then you can kind of see it, you know, beneath mm -hmm. all the layers. But she's so good at managing that, always figuring out, like, let's sit down, let's get a game plan. And I think that stress management, however she does it, <laughs> it definitely shows. And whatever she's got or she uses, she needs to bottle that up and sell it, man. Because <laughs> I'll be the first in line. You know, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been, you know, at the college for, I think, like 17 years. Um, and she's always been just like calm, cool, collective, under the radar um, and uh, just super helpful as well as uh, super knowledgeable, too. So, yeah, you're spot on on that. And, and that sure. poker face kind of kind of serves the profession well, because I know if I'm talking to someone about financial stuff and they start like you know, getting nervous about what I'm talking about. Oh man, that's not good. You know? So, so that stoicism probably lends itself well to the position as well. So. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. So yes, yeah, so our department, you know, primarily when it comes to serving students directly, majority of our work is back office in that um, fiscal services side, but student facing, that's why uh, Nicole has been making a big push to get into student services leadership and really making a bigger face in terms of our work and pushing us beyond just that fiscal services bubble is because we do serve our students in a large capacity. So student finance and student accounts is, it has to do with all of their um, tuitions and fees or mainly related to tuition. So we're not bookstore, that's gonna be a separate beast on its own, but any material fees, we, we get audit fees um, from, uh, the admissions and records office, some extra forms that pop in from McKeel, 
any departments that want to, you know, charge any fines, whether it be lost book fines from the library, um, if you're using equipment from the photography department, for example, we have Chen that emails us and says, hey, <laughs> can you charge a student for this? That's where we come into play. And so students will ask us a lot of questions about, you know, why does my bill look like this? How much am I paying? How can I pay? When can I pay? Figure and helping them figure out the logistics of how to best manage that account. We work hand in hand a lot with the financial aid department as well. Uh, once financial aid makes their decision on what they're getting in terms of grants and loans, we run what's called the, the check run, which is a three department process. And that's our, our biggest thing. It's a four day interdepartmental job that we run. And the money basically flows down from financial aid, hits the student accounts. We make sure that it's paying all the right things and creating a refund that can be sent out to the student if there's anything left in excess. So we send it off, we do our two day process and heavy times, maybe three days, we try not to do that, but it's about 25 to 26 different banner jobs that is run primarily by Brittany on our team. So she's locked into that for almost two days straight running those jobs uh, with the help of all our team to troubleshoot any problem accounts, anything that's looking iffy. And then we send it down to accounts payable and accounts payable takes those leftover funds and gets them ready to be sent out as checks and direct deposits to our students. Man. So, yeah, that, that's, that's intense. 26 banner jobs. I can imagine like, cause banner has some cranky days. So if banners oh. come out in the middle of a job run, it's like, Oh, it's like, <laughs> I mean, listen, I work in Brandon as well. And I know when, when you start to see it spin, dude, you're about to like go run through the window. You're like, no. Oh no, <laughs> exactly. No, it's the worst. You know, even if we're delayed and that's the thing because so many departments are involved in this job too. It's, you know, if one thing blows up on financial aid ends, it's that domino effect. And there's some parts of the season where we've had, you know, the CARES grants, those become extra runs on top of our, just our weekly, you know, two to three day job that we're taking care of that. So it, it all has an impact and, you know, kudos to IT for, for sure, taking our panic calls and chats and <laughs> work orders and, and getting us back online as fast as possible because it, it has a major impact there. Um, so there's a lot that we do there. So we help students understand how their financial aid is applying to pay for their tuition. That's a big question there. Uh, so we help them understand it better and answer a lot of their, their questions just related to tuition. It sounds pretty <laughs> vague, but there's just a, a number of variants uh, that, that come through as you can imagine of questions. So it's so funny because uh the listeners um, weren't privileged. We had a conversation prior to coming in on the air about um, we were talking about Harry Potter and we we're talking about what houses people are. And so you are totally, completely Ravenclaw now. I see it. <laughs> like the way that you just, the way that you just explained everything literally backs the backs up the fact that you're completely Ravenclaw. I thought she had a little bit of Gryffindor undertones in there and she probably still does, but completely no doubt well, Ravenclaw. The, the, the confidence in the expression, but the thoroughness of that, uh, yeah, uh, that that's Ravenclaw all the way. Explanation, I, and I, I'm only just now getting Harry Potter now like, in terms of reading it to my son because I, I read the first book a long time ago, so I'm not in too deep in this as well. But I, I definitely, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> it is. It is. So, if you're a student looking uh, to, you have questions, you want some help, 
what's the best way to kind of reach out to your office or should they even reach out to your office? Should they go to the other auxiliary department first or is there, should they kind of look for y'all as a point of contact? They should definitely come to us. So one big thing with us is if we're not the right person for you, we'll point you in the right direction. Uh, we'll never turn them away. A lot of the things that we do, a lot of times end up being a hand in hand thing where they do need to come to not only us, but also the other department. For example, if it was photography equipment, they need to go back to them or athletics, they need to go to them, but they also still need to work hand in hand with us. So if we're not the right person, we'll point you in the right direction. Uh, but generally, yep, come on through our doors or uh, generally the best way to reach us is email cashiers at sbcc.edu. That's my main point of work. I do uh, majority of the customer service for our students is my job in the cashier's office. So we have phone lines where we have uh, phone support from Mariel came over from the bookstore to help us out with the phone. So he's currently on the cashier's phone line, uh, helping to answer general questions. And if there's anything that somebody wants a phone call directly from one of us about, he'll put them on a list and we'll give you a call back um, at the end of the day or the following business day. And then if folks actually have to pay, do you take like newer forms of payment, like Square, things of that sort, or is it? I mean, Venmo, or is it just credit Bitcoin, cards, checks? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> right, exactly. Dogecoin. <laughs> oh, I'm all up in the Dogecoin. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got all those. Uh, no, so we're still, we still kind of stay pretty uh, traditional in that sense where we take Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex. Uh, payments through online. We do have international payments uh, methods as well for international students that they can pay with their local uh, bank back in their home country to send us uh, wire transfers. So that's an option. Uh, but currently we aren't able to accept cash. That's the, the big uh, difficulty with being remote. You can mail in a check, but then we have issues with our seven day drop for non-payment deadline is is that issue um, that's been one thing that students been running into is not being able to get payments in on time because of that lack of being able to come in to us in person and, and handle those payments so online payment would be the the optimal kind of path for folks because that that check clearing day because it's like an unknown there's not like a set yeah i'd say go go with the one where you know the amount of time is going to take to get the payment through Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's been a tough one in terms of equity, especially is not everybody has bank accounts or access to a debit card or credit card. Um, mm -hmm. So us just saying, oh, just hop online and pay. That's yeah. not an easy thing to ask of everybody. So there's different ways we've been able to figure out solutions for students. The ESL program has been working really closely with their students to figure out good ways to get them taken care of. Um, and what we've recommended in this case is you can get a prepaid debit card and we do accept prepaid cards. So if you need to pop into your CVS, you know, hand, you know, get a prepaid visa, you know, load up your, you know, your $22 in mandatory fees, you can use that to pay online. So that's been our, our main suggestion as kind of that work through that for our students. A commonly asked question that I get in Mission and Records is um, surrounding the issue of a payment plan. So do you know anything about that or can you speak a little bit on that if uh, where we're at with that? Yeah, uh, with Nicole, I am the go-to payment plan person <laughs> for our office. I do the uh, payment plan administration for um, our students. So with payment plans, we have our standard ones, which is right now open for the two uh, long-term semesters, which is fall and spring. 
So we open them up a couple months in advance. Right now, fall payment plans are open. Students can sign up for a payment plan to make more flexible payments on their tuition. Um, the ideal, the goal of it is that their tuition is actually paid off within about, you know, a month and a half of the semester starting. So students that enroll, haven't been enrolling now are on a five month plan. So it's more flexible and more generous for the students. We do have students that come in and they owe a debt to the college. And as we know, with an outstanding balance hold, they can't come in and register. And for a lot of these students like, well, I'll get financial aid to pay it off, but you got to register first before you can get that financial aid to pay off what you owe in the past. So we we're trying to think about way more ways to be inclusive and provide more options for our students because before it was, sorry, man, you got to pay it off in full. You know, otherwise your hold's not coming off your account. So we've opened past due payment plans for students. Uh, it's by petition. So a student will petition with our office. We actually modeled it after the petition for waiver of college regulations after working in admissions for a little bit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> students can basically, you know, let us know what happened. There, there's things that, that go on in students' lives. We know from their stories that things happen. And a lot of times it's uh, financial aid pullbacks that they got uh, financial aid, they had to drop out and they owe back the grants that they were given. And that's been the biggest hurdle that we've seen most commonly for students is something happened, they had to drop out, now they owe back that financial aid that they got. And it puts them in this really tough catch-22 system. So mm -hmm. they petition with us, we take a look at it, look at their goals academically and, and just a little bit about their history. And um, we generally approve those students just to let them back in. So what happens is they make a down payment on their payment plan and we lift their hold. So they'll be paying their payment plan while they're enrolled in their classes to get them back in the door uh, and allow them to make payments while they continue off their studies. And it's been really beneficial for the students. We've had a lot of great success stories that come out of it. I check up on the ones that we gave payment plans to, you know, a year and a half ago, and I see them still continuing on paying their bills in full and, and succeeding academically. So it's, it's been working and it's been really cool to see that and work with the students on that. Yeah. yeah. That's that Gryffindor Ravenclaw blend right there, Akil. That, that, you know, like she's checking in you on see? them. She's see? making sure that she, she, they're, they're still doing the thing. Oh, man. That, I mean, that's and the fact that you're referencing story, individual stories, you're showing compassion, empathy. People that handle money that whenever I work with, with the business folks, you know, the, the, the bookkeepers behind them, they don't show this kind of compassion, empathy and like, you know, the, 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 just looking out for the, the, the lived experiences of our student body. Like, like you saw a need, you saw an area that was kind of gray or that the, the areas weren't kind of lined up correctly and you you created that buffer to allow things to kind of still work and flow so that's i mean not only like using individual experience to to like change a process but changing that process seeing it through and seeing the positive outcomes that you're now getting on the other side i mean that's that's just like that's just awesome it's, it's, it's great work on, on on your department and and, and kudos to all y'all because yeah, I definitely can see that being an ongoing issue. I remember when the library fees thing was was an issue where people would have like, you know, $1.50 in library fees on their account. And that's that's something y'all kind of um, um, addressed as well. So so y'all have really been taking a look at the, kind of the issues that were, were students were facing in terms of, you know, dealing with the fiscal side of things and kind of 
removing some of those barriers. So, so in terms of the mission of the college and, and creating more, uh, more diverse, you know, equitable and inclusive environment. Yeah. Y'all, y'all doing the damn thing right now. So, so hats off for sure. Yep. I'm not, I wouldn't even, I mean, I'm just going to actually just step out on a limb and, and date myself, you know, like I remember back in the day when, you know, my, my parents would, uh, you know, I mean, from a financial standpoint, point of view they didn't have a whole lot and so um you know we had to put stuff on layaway man when i put stuff on layaway my parents would like i remember them teaching me just early on like look you put it on layaway you make your payments every time and then once you pay it off it actually becomes yours and then they also you know to me like and then i remember actually putting something on layaway uh, at one point in time and you know paying it off and getting it was like a stereo and so it just, it felt like I had a paper route. So I, I it was a sense of an accomplishment, you know what I mean? And I mean, I, I, I just like that idea of working people and meeting people where they're at. And, you know, it's not that, you know, people don't want to pay. It's just people are just, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck. That's a reality for a lot of American people or a lot of people in this country. And so institutions have to kind of see, you know, um, you know, call an audible and, and meet people where they're at. And so that's such a beautiful thing to hear that our institution is doing uh, that type of work. Definitely. And that's our, and that's our big goal with this push of how we are, you know, an integral part of student services as well is these students are not just numbers on the spreadsheet to us. It's not just another line item in Excel that we're looking and we're grinding through in terms of our accounts receivable. And, you know, it's, it's an important part and we have to with the regulations that we're working with, but there's, there's people behind this. And that's, you know, when one of my personal goals is I want them to not think that money is scary, that when you owe something, it's not this, you know, walk of shame over to our office and like, I messed up. And I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. Things happen. Let's, let's work on a game plan. And so, you know, I work with a lot of Casey students uh, over in Emoja. We kind of go through once a semester and we've started establishing that, that we go through, we check on their, you know, kind of like financial health of their student accounts, <laughs> make sure yeah. they're all good. So that way we can do outreach uh, and say like, Hey, what's going on? You know, and stop it from getting to that point where they can't register next semester. So that's our, our big goal is really embracing the student as well and not just be a, you know, a closed off kind of accounting office in that sense. Yeah. Cause I remember when I was at age and starting school, I had no concept of that extra level of fiscal responsibility. My mom didn't have a credit card. My mom kept all their money in a jacket pocket in one in, in their closet. And I remember when I found that jacket pocket, I was like, all right. So I was like, you came up, yeah, yeah. Pinch a dollar here, pinch a dollar there. Cause she's not even, yeah. So, but yeah, in terms of credit and stuff. Yeah. I had older sisters. They told me a lot about credit, but besides that I was on my own and I made a lot of poor decisions in my, you know, 18, 18 to early twenties in terms of what I was doing financially and, and, it, and paying for stuff at school was difficult. I mean, it was still the three copy carbon copy paper, you know, with a check and, and all that stuff. So so without a credit card and just going through that stuff, it was it was tough to navigate. And the people there helped me a lot. So seeing how y'all are going that extra mile and doing going beyond even that to check up on on people on a personal level, I mean that's that's just really awesome. So once again, kudos. And then if anyone needs, I'll put it in the show notes. But cashiers at svcc.edu is the main contact route to get in touch with y'all. Is there a phone number too, or just is it just on your website? Because I'll put the website in the show notes as well. 
Yeah, we have um, our phone number as well, 805-730-4197. They can go ahead and call that. There's a phone tree that uh, Chris Miller helped us implement. So shout out to Chris for being super patient with us on that. Uh, so they can get frequently asked questions and then dial nine to speak with a live representative. All right, excellent. And that, that kind of segues us into our next segment of the show, which is uh, your path to SPCC and just kind of your life travels um, up to this point. Uh, we, it is still AAPI plus Heritage Month, the month of May. And uh, if you want to speak on that a little bit, along with kind of folding in your, your uh, you know, path to this point, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a, I don't, I don't want to say anybody has a traditional life path. Everybody has their own path in life and it's very different and unique for everyone. Uh, I am half Taiwanese, half Swedish. Uh, I have three passports. <laughs> I have a Taiwanese passport, a Taiwanese national, Swedish passport, and the U.S. passport as well. Uh, I grew up over on the East Coast in the D.C. area until about age 10. Uh, then unfortunately 9-11 and those events happened in that area and my parents said we're gonna get out of here <laughs> this is this isn't what we signed up for um, so we moved over to Sweden when I was 10 and that was a huge culture shock for me growing up in the DC area for me was I describe it as the, like really just a phenomenal childhood and it taught me so much. It was incredibly diverse and open and welcoming. The area I lived in was full of ambassadors and they all worked in DC. So two doors down was my friend Nahe, who was Korean and they introduced me to chapche and kimchi jjigae mm. and all of those amazing foods. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then across the other street, uh, were the Russians and their kids were, you know, <laughs> played it rough and were super cool, but were the sweetest family. And then, uh, you know, down the road was my friend Ramja and she taught me about, you know, her culture. And when she was celebrating Ramadan, I was confused about, you know, hey, why aren't you eating lunch with us? She said, oh, it's Ramadan. And I was like, oh, what's that? And then she taught me about that culture. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. And was jealous that she got to be, you know, celebrating. And she, you know, was describing what fun she was having. And, you know, I had friends from all different cultures and colors and, and backgrounds. And it was so rich and open. And my race was never in question during that time period. And it was, it was amazing. And then I moved to Sweden when I was 10. Uh, we moved to an island off of the coast of Sweden, a rural area in almost the equivalent, not, I wouldn't say the deep south almost, but it was, it was rural. And we had five miles to our mailbox, <laughs> you know, and then 10 miles to school and was dropped off at the school and said, all right, have at it. And uh, I, didn't speak the language. I, I hadn't picked up on any Swedish from my dad, even though they tried. They put us in Swedish school on Saturdays and Chinese school on Sundays. That never stuck, unfortunately. And had to really uh, dive into this new culture, these new people, didn't speak the same language, and trying to adapt to it. Um, 
then that's, you know, when there were some really great things that I learned in Sweden, the culture was different, getting to understand my dad's side of the family a lot more and deep dive into that was super exciting, learning the language as well. Um, but there were areas that, that made me not super comfortable, you know, with regard to, you know, AAPI Heritage Month, it, that's when I encountered racism for the first time in my life. Um, there were incidences of student, and I was the only Asian kid in my whole school. Everybody else was white. Um, you know, there is kids that spray paint and go back to China on the pavement um, in the main squad of the school and would yell out slurs. And I was confused. I was, you know, then 11 at that time, 11, 12 in these formative years. And I came out of my, you know, perfect, happy little bubble <laughs> in DC of inclusion and happiness. And, and it was great. Granted, also a kid. So you see it through different, a different lens, of course. But uh, that's when I encountered that for the first time. I realized, am, am I that different? Oh, I am different, I guess. Okay. Um, and so then I, you know, grew up in Sweden and went through, you know, those struggles and, and went through high school and I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. Uh, a lot of people would take a sabbatical in Sweden, which is really common is you either work for a year, you backpack through Europe, or you go study and you start your degree. And I was at this seminar where they were, you know, the different universities were, uh, introducing themselves and recruiting and one of the universities I was going to go to their seminar about got canceled and so I was wandering the halls and my friend said hey I'm going to go to this one about studying abroad do you want to come and I was like oh sure yeah mine was canceled anyways with Lean Shopping's uh, university so I'll join in and plastered across the front was studying in Santa Barbara California <laughs> and so I was like I'm game. Let's do it. <laughs> and, uh, it was a uh, IBS International International Business Programs now, uh, unfortunately, closed down as um, STS uh, International. But I came over with their program. I texted my dad and said, "Hey, what if I move to the U.S. in a month?" And he freaked out. And my sister said, "No, no, no. Calm down. <laughs> She'll be fine. She'll take care of herself." Um, and so through our ISSP office with their amazing staff and the program, I started as a quote unquote international student at Santa Barbara City College in 2012. So that kind of started the kind of catalyst of my journey at Santa Barbara City College was that encounter. Um, most of the students only stayed about a year on that study abroad program, but I really fell in love with Santa Barbara and the school and the education I was getting. So I called my dad and said, hey, what if I stay another year? And he said, go for it. Looks like the first year worked out well. Why not? So I stayed and I kept studying at Santa Barbara City College, um, transferred out for a little bit and then uh, moved to Sacramento, worked in finance for a little bit, hence my current work in student finance, and then came back to Santa Barbara and went back to school and started my career, if you will, with Santa Barbara City College. Um, I've been a student worker, an hourly worker, and now for uh, almost two years, I have been full-time with the student finance department. All right. 
Yeah, just a you said traditional life path. Yeah, just your regular old life path with three yeah. passports and moving. Yeah, I know. Did you hear that? Man? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, is she flexing on the show right now? <laughs> the humble brag. That was the, the humble, humble brag. brag. <laughs> I was like, you try to be nice about it. <laughs> you know, I was like, shoot, man. I thought I was special being born and, in and, Japan. Yeah, you can, and you got to show people like they 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 showed you their their culture. You got to show mumbo sauce. That's the DC. Uh, <laughs> Love that mumbo sauce. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, and it's, it's good that you mentioned the, the, your experience in Sweden because people think about, you know, Sweden and, and a lot of those European countries as these progressive bastions of like, oh, if only we could be more like Sweden. If only we could be. I mean, they ain't got it all figured out. You know, nobody has this all figured out and nobody has this to where everybody feels that that comfort, you know, and that's what we're all trying to work for. That's what we're trying to get to. So that's not, I mean, if we can hold these places up for the things they do right, like the childcare stuff in Sweden and, and, the, and the, you know, some of the socialist economic, the way the wealth is distributed among the, the people is good. But you can see, you know, these firsthand experiences that you're hearing on this show and elsewhere, you can see th- those problems are endemic and, and they're just kind of, yeah, they're there waiting to be solved still. So we can't pretend like someone's got to figure it out. We just have to emulate what they do. It's really about this collective. Let's come together and let's see what's going on here. Let's listen to this, just like what Stephanie was talking about earlier, where she listened to the experiences of the people and kind of reacted on that. Listen to her story and, and react to that and, and realize like, yeah, there's, there's so much that needs to be done on, in all aspects. And, that, and this is just one morsel that should, should provide that spark. Like we need to do better at all times, you know, in terms of making, bridging that divide where, where, to, where someone literally got spray paint out to spray messages on the floor like what are you what are you thinking what are you what what why you know like yeah time your time that person's time is more important than that. they don't realize it and why is that you know like and stephanie's time you have to take in all that stuff what what, what is the point you know like uh, yeah so so thank you for, for really highlighting that but yeah your 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 average workaday life <laughs> pretty pretty amazing <laughs> and, and it, it's 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 awesome that you ended up here and 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 you absolutely are on that career path. You know, like you're, you're, you're set. You got the full-time work. You got that CalPERS. Like Akil's always dropping that heat about the CalPERS. So, yeah. Oh, she's Come a couple years away. She's a couple, couple years, years away. Of <laughs> but she's on that path. She's on that yeah. path. She's oh, I'm counting track. down. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, a lot of, and, and one thing that I do have to, you know, give a personal shout out to Akil is a lot of my, you know, career with Santa Barbara City College is due to the amazing people that I've met here and really inspiring me to want to work here. Um, I started off in the uh, security department and that's where I got to know a lot of the amazing staff and faculty that work here and all of the employees. I was, for about a year, I was out front at East Gate in the kiosk, opening the, the little gate hand for everybody in the morning, uh, cold early mornings, <laughs> but that's when the people really showed me their kindness and sense of community and just generosity towards me being a student worker, you know, out there in my, my big old yellow security jacket <laughs> saying good morning and waving to everybody. You know, I, I remember it was a super cold morning and Akil rolls up in his Honda and <laughs> he comes up and he's like, hey, what do you drink? And I was like, oh, it's quite early for this, Akil. All right. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, I'm headed over to Starbucks. Would you like anything? And I was like, really? 
And he's like, yeah, I'll be right back. And so he came back and he handed me, you know, a Starbucks. I, we have, there's a little heater in that East kiosk, or at least back then. And I was like wrapped around it. And so that coffee just meant so much. And people would bring, you know, donuts. And at the end of the semester, they, uh, Agatha up in financial aid, she brought me a card for thanking me to be, for being there. And people would roll down their window and take the time and say, you know, how's your day going? How's your classes going? And I realized this is a place that I want to work for. This is this community of, you know, just camaraderie. This is something, if this is how they're treating me just as a student worker, oh, full-time is going to be great. She's like, let me get that full-time job. Yeah, let me get those benefits on top of it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't uh, matter how they treat you as long as you show that card at the doctor's office and they take it no questions asked, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And then, you know, I was looking at ways that, you know, strategies of, okay, well, how can I get in at working full-time for the college? So I knew, like, all right, I want to change up my strategy a little bit and work more in student services and the administration side. So I walk over to admissions and records and I'm picking up one of my diplomas that I had earned at the college and Kyle's sitting up front and Akil comes over and he says hi to me. Um, Cause at this point, you know, in the mornings I waved hello to everybody. So I was at least friendly with a lot of people and asked how I was doing. And I said, Oh, well, like I'm looking for um, a different job. So I'm taking a peek, but you know, I got this de- new degree here. And so that's exciting. And Akil said, Hey, come in for an interview. We're hiring in our office. And I said, are you kidding me? And I didn't believe that he did the interviews and hiring yeah. of the student yeah. workers. Yeah. And um, he, he took me in for an interview and uh, it seems like you saw something in me. Um, and uh, just super grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, look like, so I just, I remember like exactly how you, you stated it, you know, like rolling up every morning, uh, Stephanie was always super friendly at the front gate. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's really, you know, interesting to me because one of the reasons why I love doing this show is because, you know, we don't get everything right as an institution, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. Meaning that there's a lot of places in the similar situation, but the human story or the human element of the show that is talking about how Agatha brought you a card, how other people, you know, stopped and greeted you and treated you. Uh, they saw the humanity in you. Um, they just didn't see you as some person just opening up the gate in the front. Like these are the stories that we need to hear more of and need to hear more about because it's easy to always, you know, um, be critical of the institution. Um, and so when you're telling these stories, it really kind of feels good to me because that's what it's really about in terms of being in community and, and developing a relationship with our coworkers. And, and so when I would, Stephanie would always be like, Hey, how's it going? And then actually full disclosure, one time my parking permit was actually uh, expired. And I was like, Stephanie, called, she called me out. She's like, Hey, look, you know, I'm just, she was ticketing at the time. She's like, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I just want to let you know, you, you probably want to go down and get uh, the new sticker because, you know, we are ticketing for that. And so again, right. So went down there that same day, got this sticker, put it in. And, and, and those are the p- things that, that are occurring day in and day out at our institution that people just don't hear or talk about. And so when, um, 
she came into admission to records at one time. I was like, yo, what are you doing? She's like, well, you know, I'm, you know, you know, I asked, actually, I think I asked, are you still working at security? And she's like, no. And then I was like, oh, we're hiring. We got to get this. And then here's the other funny story. Once I, uh, Stephanie, um, I, I think admission to records at the time we were out, we, we didn't have a supervisor at the time. So I was, I was doing the interviews and I remember totally like bragging and like boasting to Vanessa that how you're going to work in a mission and records. And she was like, I'm going to try to take her away. And so, then, so <laughs> Vanessa, so Vanessa, so Vanessa Pelton and I had this full on conversation. She's like, I think I can offer her more money. And then I was like, you better not take Stephanie away from mission and records. So just not me, but a lot of other people saw, uh, you know, the, the greatness in you. And so it's such a pleasure to be able to um, hear your story and actually to have you on, on the show. And, um, you know, from the days of, you know, bringing you a coffee to now sitting here, seeing all the Raven call in you is, it's, it's been, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Seeing the good you've done for the students in terms of the programs you've been acting in physical services. And as someone who's, as someone who's had a lot of jobs at other places, like in terms of, of I've, I mean, I, there no, none of them have gotten it all right. You know, it's like we talked about with Sweden, like nobody's got it all figured out all the places I worked, maybe some are better, maybe some are worse, but in terms of the people, yeah, I, have, I, I it's hard to find a, a better a better group of people than the ones here. And that's really in all the jobs I've had, what holds you up, what keeps you what keeps your head above water is the relationships you build among the people and the people who when you're having a, when you're having a, a middle of the road day or kind of a down day, they say, hey, let's go take a walk. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's go stroll. Let's talk, because those are the people that will hold you down day in, day out. It's not the yeah. administrative policies. It's not the policies and procedures. It's not the things that they bake in. Are, are set that baseline to where you won't get just destroyed by oppression, you know? Yeah. But, but in terms of uh, in terms of elevating you to that like good life or a, a reasonable existence, that's only the, your peers and your your coworkers and the people around you how how they are. Because in those I've been in those environments where the policies and procedures were great, but it was such a cutthroat like you know like competitive environment that wasn't good either. So something like uh, a, there's such a good balance here where if you if you really want to strive and climb the highest mountain, there are opportunities there. But if you just want to do the work and really hone in on the student experience, that's there as well. So in terms of the variety of, of opportunities here and, and, the, and, the, and the depth and breadth of the people that work here, yeah, it's really hard to beat City College. Like, like yeah. Well, yeah, we have... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but we just have, we have a really amazing standout gems that, that make it, you know, when, when things get really tough and as the climate changes as a whole, is, you know, that's, you know, what I kind of, you know, in some ways you kind of have to hold on to it and where I grasp onto that is remembering that camaraderie and like, okay, why did I come here? And in, some, in a lot of ways, how can we get back to that? Because that's why I came here, you know, and that's what I saw, you know, from the beginning, you know, just as a student worker and then hourly and then full time is that journey of, there are great people here. And how do we get back to that feeling that I fell in love with and saw, you know, as an outsider, from the very beginning, now being fully in it is reminding ourselves of, you know, what good there is and, you know, that, that drive to get back to what that was, because it was incredible. And that's what brought me here. Yeah. I mean, I think also, too, there's a piece of being able to stand in both spaces, right? Like standing in the space that recognize that we do a lot of things well, then also being, you know, standing in that same space and also be critical of the things that we're not doing well. You know, um, one thing that I really love about your story, and I think, and I'm a really firm believer in this, is that 
you know, how you kind of progressed, uh, you know, up, right? So from, you know, working security and mission records, now you're, you know, you are where you're at now. And I think that's really a lesson I think I hope that the institution can really consider is that I think one of the things that is such a challenge for our institution is we don't do a, a good job at hiring within like we should really be, and this is my opinion, and I've stated this in numerous places, we really need to be really thinking about breeding and developing um, people to, to be in leader, leadership positions versus always hiring from outside sources that you bring people in that don't understand the culture, the climate of, of campus. Because um, we have in, intelligent people here that are, are well-qualified to be in spaces of, you know, top administrative positions. But if we're always hiring out, people don't understand our culture here. And that's just my two cents and I'll get off my soapbox and with this, it. But and yeah, it's definitely something I've seen in most places where I've worked. I feel, it feels like a generational shift where before people were more inclined to kind of build, start you at the bottom and kind of work you up through it. And now because there are these kind of like, I won't say shortcut, but there are efficiencies to be had by, you know, getting your MBA first or getting this, that, getting a certification first, you know, master's in public administration or whatever. And just thinking that you can just plug that into a place and, yeah. and not account for institutional knowledge. And then when you add in the fact that a lot of younger workers, they think of working at the same place for a long time as like a detriment, like it's, it's negative. Like if you're not bouncing around from job to job every three to five years looking for, you know, chasing a higher salary, chasing, a, chasing your, your positional, you know, you're moving up that way. So it's 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 an interesting kind of problem to solve because I totally agree with you and I and it, and the last three or four places I worked it was the same deal where you would you would get you start if you start and work your way up in an institution you get to a certain point and you hit this ceiling you know like this like institutional knowledge ceiling where you bring in this other person oh they got these fresh ideas oh they got this fresh perspective I want to hear it that perspective is totally like a lot of most of the time totally untested doesn't actually work. And then there's any kind of brushback and all of a sudden, all the people that all the people that were, you were riding with before are now these like, Oh, they're just, they're just afraid of change. It's just that like, it, it's all spin on top of spin on top of spin when you can just call it what it is. Like that guy, the, the person blew it. They, they, they don't, you know, like they weren't about that life for real. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you have people that you've been working with for years, you know, are about that life. You know, if you give them something to do and a date to do it, it'll get done. And you're trying to plug this, you know, fresh MBA, not to say that those programs are bad. They're totally valid, but it's that mix. You have to have that MBA with that real world experience and that kind of dynamic, quick thinking ability. And, and, and those are just hard to find no matter what, but I would, I would agree with you, Akil, where I would like to take that chance more often on people inside within the institution than, than outside. But yeah, again, those are, it just feels like a generational shift that I missed out on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yes, we're glad you're here. And, and, uh, we hope you we hope you stay here for uh, you know you continue your career here and, and make it a career get that five years get that vested you know get fully Calpers. vested girl get get yeah. all the calpers girl exactly <laughs> yeah so nice. all right thank you for that Stephanie and now we can move on to uh, our next section which is get eaten our food section. If there's any uh, a meal that you've had at a restaurant recently or something you've made or, you know, just, just, you can talk about mumbo sauce if you want to talk about mumbo sauce. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I, I've been kind of on this, you know, the, the college student diet back again uh, in some ways. I'm, I've been um, 
full time back in school finishing my bachelor's, which I get to walk for next week. Another All right. The- <laughs> so Let's I've been go. back. There we go. So I've been uh, remote work has been the only thing that's made that possible for me to be able to finish my degree. 100%, you know, being saving that extra, you know, hour in the morning of getting ready, you know, and, you know, packing my lunch and getting out the door and driving to the college, and then doing all that over, you know, my way back, that extra time has been the only thing that's allowed me to go back to school full time, and finally finish this degree. That has been the biggest thing for me. But with that, I'm paying tuition again. So <laughs> it's <been laughs> tighter on the on the budget. I've been doing a lot of meal prep and like HelloFresh lately has been my big thing. Uh, just out of the sheer convenience in that aspect. So it hasn't been too, too bad. It's been pretty good. Is there is there like a go-to protein or, or a certain dish that they do really well with HelloFresh or those, those kind of prepared meal kits? Or is it kind of across the board pretty good? Because I've never used it, but I've always been curious because I like cutting yeah. out those, you know, the middle people out of the equations. So definitely. So um, they're, they're really pork heavy on HelloFresh. And I've been, been eating a lot of meat lately, personally. So I've been going for the vegetarian option has, has been and they have these like Southwest zucchini boats. And that's been my favorite one where it's uh, like the stuffed zucchini. And, and for me, the best part is it, it takes the, the guesswork out of it is I just follow these step-by-step instructions and it tells me what to do. And I have the exact amount. So there's no way I'm going to mess it up uh, <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, so those have been really good. And so we buy the, the family pack. So that way we get multiple meals out of it. It can meal prep throughout the week with it. So that way it takes away at least like two, three days worth of cooking. So unfortunately, food for me <laughs> lately has been more of like part of the grind where it's just like, all right, it's fuel. We got to keep going, which is the way I hate looking at food. It makes me really sad. Yeah. But you're walking soon. You know, you get some time after to decide on your next steps in terms of your educational pursuits. So you'll have time to kind of explore and wander again. So, yeah, you, you did what you had to do. You got you got it done. And, and that's the, the kind of dirty secret about about cooking is like things like HelloFresh and all these things, just the act of making some of yourself and home cooking, it makes it really good. Like there's, there's little twists, like, you know, really fine dining and, and high end chefs, they can add additional twists on top of that to take like two or three notches above. But that baseline of a home cooked meal is never bad. I've, I've, I've never had a bad home cooked meal. I mean, I, I have no taste, you know, full disclaimer, but I've never <laughs> had a bad, I've never had a bad home cooked meal, you know, like in, in my mind. So like, yeah, just, just taking the time to put, to put all those ingredients together, put in the oven, put it on a pan or whatever. It's going to be good. So, so yeah, ain't, ain't no, ain't no shame in that game right there. So uh, um, that's, that's those boats do sound good. I'm just gonna look at the recipe and see what it's all about. Cause what is we the boat? Do- just, just the zucchini itself is the boat and you fill it with stuff. Yeah, or, you're supposed to scrape out the seeds with a spoon. I mean, half the time uh, I mess it up because I end up like going a little too ham into it and uh, it just like obliterates. I'm like, oh, shoot. All right, one put down, <laughs> another one left. Yeah, uh, but then you can like just mush it up together and if you bake that, it's going to be good too. <laughs> Casserole. And that's I can't... my point, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> yeah, you just scrape out the seeds and then you, you stuff them and that's the your little zucchini boat. Uh, all right. Han, Han, you're too much, man. If you, and if, if there's like a, yeah, if there's a HelloFresh referral link, I could put that in the show notes. So if anyone signs up for an account based on what you, you know, you'll get that kickback too. 
<laughs> you know, that's how they got me. It's all these sponsorships and podcasts and YouTube videos where they're, you know, Hong Ten for 10 free meals off HelloFresh. <laughs> oh, that man. That is hilarious. I, and I'm glad you mentioned Hong Ten because he's actually a famous Korean B-boy, a breakdancer. And like, he's, he, he's uh, yeah, he's awesome, dude. <laughs> Yeah, back when I wanted to be a uh, wanted to break dance, but I have zero upper body strength and very little balance. So those those two things are really kind of weighing against me. But I would watch Hong Ten videos all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no. hey, Hong, but even with that, like Hong, you're too much, man. You're out here self disclosing. You have no balance on the show, man. You're a brave I, man. I feel like if anyone just sees me, they kind of can get you. It, I I kind of put it all out there. I don't, there's nothing like like behind the scenes here. Like you know what you hey, get. Man. No, but hold up, man. Unkept. Yeah. No, man. You can't be out here like giving big boys like bad names now. You know what I mean? You... <laughs> no, no, no. No, for me personally, yeah. In the, the... No, no, no. <laughs> I there's I know a ton of I know a ton of like really dope big bigger break dancers. Yeah, just not me. I mean, catch <laughs> catch catch me on the basketball court, and then then you then, then you know you, you might have to watch out. But break dancing, no, no, no. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. I'll go next. Um, since it's uh, I, my choice kind of compliments your choice, Stephanie, that I have been going out a lot lately. Like, <laughs> I feel like oh, God, the balance I, of it. Yeah. That I, second I'm shot, good, that second shot. I'm dude. a good compliment in that regard. Yeah. The second shot with the four, I put the 14 day incubation period because full disclosure the past year, I, I, I mean, we have a, my wife is a COVID safety officer in our house and she had me on a strict regimen where, and I was, I was doing good. I did pretty good. All things considered, you know, the first six or seven months I was strictly curbside. You know, even after that, I was very, you know, very careful. So now that I'm, I've got my, my second shot, I got my 14 days in, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like I bring a mask with me. I can go anywhere. So I've been eating all over. I've been, um, I've been down to LA. I did a taco mini taco crawl in LA. Uh, I, but, but up here, there's been a lot of restaurants that I, I didn't get to try. I finally got to try a uh, revolver pizza on the West side. I got to try that. Excellent. Um, there's a new place in Summerlin called feast and fort. Let me, I think it's, I think it's feast and fort um it's where cantwells used to be yeah 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 and and it's uh it's it's a it's kind of like a uh field and fort it's field, it's field and, and fort. yeah it's field and fort. yeah it's kind of like it's a, field and fork oh i was thinking field and I, fort yeah it's kind what of bougie. Was the first one you said feast you and it? fort feast and fork i was like well that sounds like a medieval version of fish yeah and fork. and I, I mixed it up because there's a there's a, a restaurant up in solving called peasant's feast and I ate there as well. Peasants Feast and then Field and Fort in Summerland. And Field and Fort in Summerland, I mean, it's a little kind of higher end slash bougie, if you want to put it that way. But it's, I, it is bougie. I like oh, Don't I put like it down. I love food. bougie. Yeah, I love bougie. Wait, food. Would you have the avocado toast? The $20 uh, avocado, the $25 I, avocado no, toast. They have, a, they have a Mediterranean sampler that's $20, but it but it does it will last you a while because I'm the kind of person that I can load up on the carbs just because it's like like hummus and goat cheese and dips and stuff and pickled vegetables. I can eat that for a long ways to go. I've had the savory porridge, which I'm, you know, porridge is kind of near and dear to my heart. So I've had, had the savory and sweet porridge. Both are good. And then I've had the Reuben and the roast beef sandwich. And okay. So it's a $15 sandwich with, with a, one single pickle or like five chips as a side. So it's, is definitely a little expensive, but it's very good. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's hard to buy. It's a good sandwich, but yeah, I, I avoid the sandwiches. But the but the porridges and that Mediterranean sampler are all worth getting. Coffee's good, you know. They have these lemon curd croissants; they're excellent. So yeah, I've definitely been going to Field and Fort a lot, and then uh, uh, Revolver, Moni's, and just doing doing the run around town. So I've just been enjoying eating out again. I still haven't sat down to eat at a restaurant, 
but just being able to like, you know, do takeout and support local businesses and do what I can. Cause I, I mean, I, I was trying before, but we were really trying to be respectful of the, of the protocols and stuff. So now that I'm on the other side of that, I'm kind of like acting out in, in some ways. I, I got, I got like a bunch of live music tickets for the fall. All these artists going back on tour. So I'm, I'm ready to roll, but yeah. So I'll put up a, a link. I'll put a link to a lot of these restaurants in the show notes, but I just want to give a shout out to, I'm not like Field and Fort needs my kind of extra advertising pub because they're busy all the time, but it was good. It was good. And there's a park nearby. If you get your food takeout from there, you can walk to the park and just sit on the bench and eat. It's pretty nice, especially yeah. because a lot of people knock that park because of the traffic noise. But for a person from LA, traffic is like my white noise machine. Like it's so relaxing. Like it calms me down, you know, like cars running by a little bit of that exhaust smell a little a ah. little bit of gunshots a little oh, no 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 air. see yeah, we, you get all the good <laughs> you get all the good without that part i that's the only thing i'm missing like i need a little chopper overhead a chopper overhead and the, and the smell of fresh gas because like i yeah. go to the gas station i put a little on my fingers and, and get a whiff after it oh yeah that's <laughs> that's the good stuff <laughs> you're showing out today man you're showing out. <laughs> i'm showing out this episode <laughs> oh yeah uh, that's funny. So I'll go ahead and give you guys uh, my take. I am going Thousand Oaks, California. So if you need a like a little weekend uh, getaway um, and you find yourself in that area, um, my favorite Thai restaurant, it's called uh, Bangkok Avenue. Um, and it's a Thai restaurant, super like fresh um, quality is off the chart, man. They have, um, I usually go with, I mean, they, everything that I've eaten there is good. But uh, this past trip I tried, I got the um, the crab cream puffs, which is basically crab rangoons, right? That was amazing. And then I go with the drunken noodles. Um, so, they, you know, they just like any Thai restaurant, they hit you with the different options of meat. Uh, thai noodles are, uh, the drunken noodles are just to, to, to die for. And then... They have these, they make a basil lemonade, which is so good. Oh, they have a lychee iced tea, Ooh. crazy good. Uh, they also make the traditional Thai iced tea. Uh, the, crab fried, the crab fried rice is amazing. The spicy basil fish is amazing. Um, you can't go wrong. I mean, I really highly recommend this restaurant, Bangkok Avenue. Um, you can look at it even up. I'm sure, you know, Hong will put it in the show notes, but... Uh, you can see the photos and the pictures on on Yelp. Uh, it's kind of like a hole in the wall, but it's funny because just like uh, you roll up into the plaza because it's in a plaza and you're like, kind of like, is this it? You know, like, you know how you have that, like, is this the, that's the place? You're like, I see a dentist over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next to a, oh, yeah. Next to a, a, a nail parlor, right? So you got a <laughs> yeah. nail spot right next to a tie spot, ne- right next to a donut shop. Literally, that's what I'd set up. <laughs> but then, but then, as soon as you open the door, it's like you feel like you're in a different place. It's really well done the, in terms of the interior um, design and the people. The service is really good. People are really friendly. The food is literally it's fresh. Um, so if you're find yourself in Thousand Oaks, or if you need a just a spot where uh, if you're a Thai food consumer, it literally is worth the drive. Hong knows I will not disappoint you on a drive to like. Thousand Oaks, Oaks, even I went to Sadaf off of yeah. the recommendation. It blew me away. That cherry rice. I mean, I love rice, and I never had that kind of flavor mix. And I was, I wasn't sure at first. I was like, okay, he said this was really good, but I'm looking at this right now. Like, 
cherries in my rice. Like, I don't know what's going on with the, with Kubede on top. Oh, it was mm. perfect. It was yeah. perfect. I was listening to that on the podcast, and I was like, it, it kills freaking out about this cherry rice. And I it was good. That actually sounds to me. Oh, Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to. True then. I'm not in the business of leading people astray. You know, like big boys come through. You know, that's what we do. <laughs> you know, so I'm out here representing for us. And uh, this Thai restaurant is that good. So my uh, my daughter always gets the uh, red curry, which is and and it's so funny. Last time uh, we ate there, I think it was a, a couple of days ago. It was like last maybe last week. She was like she hadn't we hadn't been there right since the whole pandemic. And it was actually that was the first restaurant that we sat down to eat. Right. And we we're kind of like we we're walking in. We we're all like, I don't know. There's a lot of cars in in the in the parking lot. Um. So we get in and literally as soon as we sat down, it was kind of late. They were getting ready to close. Everyone left. So we literally it was just us and the servers. So we we're like, yeah, like this is social distancing. We're the only people in the restaurant. <laughs> so it worked out in our favor. But when she took a bite of the red curry, like I thought my girl was going to cry, man. I was, she was like, oh. It tastes so good after all these years. <laughs> you know, the, it was um, like an epiphany. It was yeah, like... <laughs> that's how she was feeling. I was like, she, I was like, I was worried it may taste a little salty because I thought she was going to cry. But listen, the red curries is phenomenal. Anything from that spot is it's really good. So that's my pick uh, for this show. Bangkok Avenue Thai restaurant. Come through. You won't be disappointed. I will definitely be picking some up next trip. Because after that, Sadaf recognition, I, I always knew, I always called Akil the Yelp Whisper. I'm the big guy with no taste. Akil is the Yelp Whisper. So that's how, that's how, <laughs> that's how the duty split off here. So if Akil's hey. dropping knowledge, I'm definitely going to do my part. Yes. Yeah, so That'll AAPI work. month, make sure <laughs> you guys represent, support Asian businesses, get in the car, go on a road trip, every, and try Bangkok Avenue. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm always willing to drive, you know, I've driven down to, you know, the good old 626 area in desperation for, ta- for good Taiwanese food, uh, oh, yeah. A&J restaurant. And... Oh, A&J's good. You know, oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. I'm, A&J. A- I'm 626. I still got my 626 area code. I've never <laughs> let that go. So yeah. I have taken desperation drives just to go to A&J restaurant to get that Taiwanese food is hard to come by. It's, you know, it's a small, you know, area or a small country. And so it, it's hard to find uh, good Taiwanese food. And, and Madame Lou actually up, up on our upper state, she's Taiwanese. So one thing, you know, being in this, you know, bogged down of, of work and school is I'm, I'm seeking out comfort foods all the time. And Taiwanese food is my biggest comfort food. So I remember she's like my go-to because a couple of years ago I was, I was feeling sad and I wanted food and I was missing home and so I picked up an order and then I asked him and I was like hey because I found out she was Taiwanese and I was like hey like what recommendations do you have you know my big struggle is I I don't know Chinese my sister does my mom does I never picked it up though um, so I can never read those secret Chinese menus <laughs> and so that's you got a disadvantage I'm at a disadvantage there. I feel, you know, less than. And uh, I asked her and I was like, hey, like, I'm really craving Taiwanese food that my mom made. Like, what do you recommend? And all of a sudden, I have four people around me pointing at the menu like, oh, like, you got to get this and you got to get that. And then they finally said, like, if you're just, just tell you can also just call us and tell us what you're craving and just describe it to us and we'll cook it for you. And I was like, really? I love restaurants like that. 
oh, it was so cool. And I was like, absolutely. So one day I called him, I was like, hey, I want white fish, like braising soy sauce with some ginger and some scallion and hot oil on top. And they're like, all right, come pick it up in 20 minutes. And I was just driving over there, super stoked. Yeah. Um, so that's been super cool. But yeah, I'm willing to drive yeah, you, for some good You're not food. getting that out of field and fork, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fair. getting that out field yeah. for. That is a fair point. <laughs> and, and as someone who can't read and write Chinese either, I mean, the the secret Chinese menu thing it it is a is a thing in in a lot of like it's it's not does they don't do that in LA like in the SDV there there's no secret menu because you buy these ingredients to use them. I don't know. I mean, I I understand why you do it here because there's certain dishes that you don't have that many that much of that ingredient, so you don't want to kind of keep keep the, the sales low. But in LA, they're just trying to sell as much as they can of everything. So I, I it was a kind of it'll a new all thing, be on but, there. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, I feel, I, do, I feel kind of left out too. But you know, but I, well, China Pavilion I, has one too. Yep, China, that's yeah, the thing. All China the restaurants was, in town yeah. have a secret Chinese menu. Yeah, exactly. And, it, <laughs> and and China Pavilion actually went to the, the extra step of translating it, which is nice because now because I do like ordering some of the dishes on there. Like they have bitter melon, you know, which mm-hmm. I really love, and and bitter melons only on the secret. And I'm like, well, if you don't sell that much bitter melon, I can't even trust the bitter melon you're giving me because it's going to be, be fresh. Be like, <laughs> yeah, it might be like three weeks old. You never know. But yeah, uh, so I, I I've kind of come around on that as well, but. Definitely. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a A and J's in Irvine, so it's it's a little farther south than I. But I but Irvine is like a, a real hotbed for Asian kind of food and just Asian kind of people getting together because of the university and just like if you want to see like if you want to hang out with the, the hip young folks and see because a lot of young Asian just going out to eat is kind of like going out. It's like before the club or after or whatever yada yada. So so those those kind of areas with, with happening with happening restaurant scenes like you know Rolling Heights, Irvine, you know mm-hmm. Arcadia and stuff like that. It's it's definitely worth well, food out. is community food mm-hmm. in, in asian culture it, food, food i mean and with all cultures it's mm-hmm. it's a huge connection but especially that's our get together you know hot pot is my all-time absolute favorite comfort food above all else um and the, we have one i think they 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 changed ownership so many times that one that's on lower state they spun like the right dim sum the, i i think they yeah. might still do dim sum but their hot pot was the most authentic because they had the bar, the appetizer bar in the back. They even had exactly. the duck necks. They even had the duck necks. And everyone's yes. like, crazy. I'm, I'm eating duck necks like a crazy person. And they're like, oh, God, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, man, I'm so glad they have this stuff. But, yeah, they, they pivoted because I, I I guess it wasn't it wasn't paying the bills, I guess, all the way. But State Street Rain is just crazy. So Yeah, exactly. But that's why Uniboil actually has been my my mm-hmm. other. It's not the same thing since it's like a single serve. It's the solo pot, person. but it's, it is yeah. good. Yeah. It's still good. It's still it hits the spot. It you know satisfies the craving for when it's like, all right, this is the best thing I can get in town. This is what I'm going for. And if you want boba and popcorn chicken, Uniboil is also the the best spot. If you, you want like they don't do brick toast, which is the one boba snack that I really miss, is like the giant hunk of piece of bread with the condensed milk. But oh, I was never into that. Honestly, oh, it's yeah. a little too sweet for me. I could do it all. <laughs> like I said, no taste, no taste here. I eat it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I got spoiled with boba in Taiwan, like being a bit of a boba snob, if you will. Um, boba is Taiwanese and mm-hmm. I came from there. And um, I, prior to the pandemic, I'd go there once a year. My sister lives out there with her husband. And so they uh, were my go-to spot for my annual Taiwan trip. And that's where I would get my boba fix and hot pot fix and all of the Taiwanese food would be my annual trip out there. Oh yeah. And with COVID that's come to a close. So I have her vicariously send photos to me so I can live through her at this point. My, my <laughs> wife is, my wife is, is white, but she's, she loves boba way more than I do. And she's been to like, she's a, like a, not a full on connoisseur, but she likes really good boba. 
her favorite boba is in LA. It's a chain that's from Taiwan called Chicha Sanchen. And like, it's like, it, it, it does, I can even taste it as someone with no taste. It is like that, that extra little notch above where the QQ of the boba chew. Yes, the, the QQ. The tea, the tea milk balance is excellent. So yeah, I, I can respect it even though I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that quickly to Tapioca Express just, as, just, just the same too. But yeah, I mean, Taiwan is, is uh, really like Taiwanese sausage, stinky tofu, pork chop rice. A lot of it is like cafe, like like not cafe, like diner food to, to cheapen it. It's just that like you get together with friends and you get together with family. You can all get something different. You know, if you want steak and eggs and pork chop rice and some stinky tofu or some the, the Chinese, the Taiwanese sausages, which are all excellent. Yeah. It's like that. all the night market foods. And that's, you know, one of the big things that they're known for is, is that night market. Uh, I was kind of reacting to, to QQ. I actually haven't heard somebody say QQ in, in years, only because it's mainly <laughs> a thing that my mom and my sister and I use. So QQ is a, is a texture. It's like a chewiness. That chewiness that you get with boba is QQ. And it's something that's so sought after. Like if you get like a good like steamed bao or bun and that it's just right where you get that chewiness, like, oh, this is QQ. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's not mushy. It's not mushy. It gives a little bit back, but it definitely is, is soft. Yeah, soft and moist, but not to, to, to be mush. Yeah, that is, that yeah is the- you like unlocked a total memory that I <laughs> locked away. <laughs> oh yeah you can't you can't do like a boba analysis without without analyzing the qq along with the tea to milk ratio and i'm just an ice cream tea guy so i I just like the straight tea flavor as well yeah it's so funny you guys made me think about um uh, one other thing that i'm going to throw out in the show too uh because you guys are talking about the boba and the the texture um last weekend i think it was last week and the weekend before we were down in santa monica and um we tried uh the mochi nut Oh, so that's the, right. The mochi donut. Yeah. So it was a mochi. It was like a mochi donut. So that's another spot. If you find yourself um, down in, in the L.A. area, it's something worth trying out. Um, they actually are getting getting ready to open one in Northridge. Um, uh-huh. But so that would be a little bit closer, but it's not open yet. But yeah, it's that uh, that kind of texture where you're saying where it's like. Um, it's a little a little soft but not too soft and 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 so it just made me think about uh, mochi donuts and, um, and mochi is definitely qq when you hit it hit it right like if yeah you wait, too, you wait a couple of days it's too too chewy if yeah. you get it if you get it the cook if you get it like done wrong it's too mushy but when you hit it just right that is definitely qq in a nutshell and and there is one person in town here doing mochi donuts uh his name is more donuts he's like an instagram pop-up he sells out a lot so it's kind of hard to get up here yeah. But in terms of, uh, yeah, I, he, I still haven't tried him. Is he Asian though? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I, he hangs I, out. You know, he knows the guy, uh, the upper state tie, your choice tie, because okay. that guy makes his own ice cream. The criminal, criminal, criminal. Mm-hmm. I think is his ice cream brand. I'll put in the show notes as well. Yeah. So they they know each other. My because my wife befriended them both because she's been trying to get him to do boba and stuff and do some other stuff too because she wants. <laughs> Trying to bring some more of that food up here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like she's 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 more of an ambassador for the culture than I am at this point. So it's, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say no taste, not an ambassador for the culture. Like I'm really kind of. <laughs> no, Listen. no, no. She's she's pushing <laughs> you in the right direction. Yeah, she's, she's dragging me along with it too. So yeah. You, so in the Santa Monica Mall, that's where the mochi. It's called Mochi Nut. That's the name of the the, the company. But so we kind of stumbled a, 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 across it. It was like you know. Um, Ramadan was still in. And so we were like, it, it, you know, the sun was getting ready set. We're trying to figure out where we're going to eat. And we were walking around the food court and we stumbled into it. Uh, and it was funny because the, 
there was a line kind of growing, right? And so the line was, they just did a bad job at really creating like, you know, like this is the line, right? So the line kind of wrapped around the side of, of the of the uh, donut shop and people would come in one direction and just think that they were at the, at the beginning of the line, but the line was on the side. So, you know, it had that whole tension had, <laughs> where like people were like, oh, there's only, oh, there's only a few. Dude, there's only a few donuts left, right? And, and they weren't making oh, they weren't no. making them fast enough, and so people would roll in, and then the, you could see they're standing there, and other people are like giving them that death look, right? And so then they kind of realize, oh, wait, the line's over here. So then they would go in, and and so the funny thing is, like, you know, I was like, look, we're getting a dozen. I like, I'm like, I, it's like I don't even care if they're good. I had never tried them. I'm like, just sure I'm principal. They're about to run out. Um, and so the people behind us, they were like, you know, they're like really anxious to get their order in because they're like, this guy's going to order everything, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's that was just funny. All the tension, the, the drama of donuts running out. You're like, oh, no, the chocolate, you know, it's all gone, you know. And um, so but yeah, mochi donuts, man, those they, they were, were good, actually though, good. Right? They were, they were good? crazy good. You know, the strawberry one was one of my favorites. They had whole bunch of different flavors like strawberry peach um they had a yogurt flavor a blueberry blueberry actually was one of my favorites too strawberry and blueberry i didn't try the chocolate because uh wifey kind of devoured those before i got to them and so (laughs) but she said they were good um and so uh but uh yeah definitely if you're in the santa monica area you got to make sure you hit up the, the mochi donuts I was trying to bring some back home, but you know. Oh you man, know, we, you know we how ever, it be. You know how it be sometimes, huh? You know. You, no, like, you and and your and and your mom was with you too because she texted me too. She's like, "Those mochi donuts were good." I'm like, "Oh man, Akil, Akil did it did it right though. You got showing out for the family. That's good." Yes, so that's those two are Thai and mochi donuts, man. We'll get everything in the show notes as best we can. We, we covered a lot of ground, which is, which is what the show is all about. And now we're heading, heading to our, our last segment, which is uh, higher learning. So, uh, Stefan, if you want to kick us off again, book, TV, music, movie, any piece of culture that, that's kind of moved you or, or kind of, you know, it, it, recent or throughout your life, if you want to share anything, shine yeah, a light on uh... anything. Yeah. Definitely. I've been, so been hitting the books back again. So you know, free time has been few far in between besides, you know, the occasional, you know, 90 day fiance episode that I yes. uh, turn on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, I'm sorry. That's my go-to is all the spinoffs of 90 day fiance are oh, my man. favorite. This is going to continue after the show, but go ahead. All right. <laughs> I'm so happy. There's a lot of people that go, ooh, really? And I'm like, I love TLC. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been hitting the books a lot lately, obviously finishing off school. And the, the most interesting course that I've taken uh, recently was um, the history of Indigenous Americans and, and learning more about the culture uh, and history behind that and, you know, the impact of our U.S. politics and um, the impact on that. And the one big thing that the instructor did to kick off the course was we had to watch a TED talk and it was called uh, The Danger of a Single Story. And I, I keep, ever since I, I took that course a couple months ago, I keep referencing it because I think it was so powerful. Um, 
and what it prefaces is when you listen to a one person's side of, of, of a story or one person's experience, we, we have a tendency to, to hone in on that narrative. And the example given um, in, in it, well, you can just basically compare it to is, you know, I meet somebody and I'm like, oh, all right, you're from XYZ culture. And I hear your story and I take it as, oh, now I know about the culture. And that's my takeaway. And in their instances, it was watching movies and assuming that, you know, oh, all white people are Americans and therefore this is how they act. And it's the danger of a single story. And that's why I think it, it circles back to what you mentioned earlier, Hong, where it's, it's listening to everybody's different stories and experiences. And you gave the example of looking at Sweden, for example, and feeling like, you know, they're really progressive and they have, you know, their ish together and, you know, they're doing great. Uh, but then we, we hear about these different things that are going on in the different layers. So that reliance on a single story is such a dangerous narrative and that we really need to look at multiple perspectives and really hear the experiences of a variety of people. And that never ends. We're constantly evolving in that, that I can't just hear your story, Hong, and yours, Akil. It's I need to go, if I want to truly understand, I need to go deeper and go broader. And that will never end it'll continue forever and you know it's it's being aware and cognizant of that and that ted talk has just really stuck with me ever since so i would highly recommend that anybody watch that um for that insight yeah it, it's it's definitely a powerful valid like you know message and, and very important that not only to, to not count on that single story but that that learning must go on forever because the the the, the narrative is always continuing to unfold and we are all individuals, which is, you know, we are all, you know, equal as individuals. So to get those individual perspectives and kind of tie them into the overarching whole is, is essential. And I, and I feel like for you, you kind of advocating for this, especially as, as someone who's mixed race, you know, my son is mixed race, Akil, Akil's daughter, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's just the, a single story to a mixed race person is like, you know, it, it's like one day, you know, because there's, there's so many, it's such a multifaceted kind of existence. There's so many aspects of it. And I see my son kind of, you know, navigating his, his two sides of his, the, the two sides of his story in different ways where like, you know, my parents are, are the angry, you know, <laughs> angry, evil ones <laughs> and my wife's parents are, the, you know, like, but it's, but it's, it's reconciling both of them, understanding he's a little, you know, he's a part of both and, and both, both aspects of the culture are important to acknowledge and recognize. I mean, you can't, you can't boil any of, any of that down to a single story. You can't boil anybody on this planet to, to, to a single story, an impression, a meeting. You know, it's like even food critics, when they, when they write about restaurants, they don't just go eat there once and then write their story. You eat there multiple times. You, you sample various dishes. You know, like this whole, that, that principle just needs to extend to our lives in general. It's, it's, it's a very important kind of point to make. Right. What I also too, what I also hear, and, and I'm kind of re reflecting on listening to you um, share that with us, Stephanie, is also the piece of the element of of traveling, you know, because um, that's the piece. And, 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 it, and so for a lot of American people, you know, a lot of American people, they don't even have a passport, let alone three side flex. But <laughs> um, that, you know, I, you know, have had the, you know, the, the good fortune to, to travel pretty extensively. And I really understand, like, you know, a lot of my biases or, you know, preconceived notions shifted when I was in different places, 
you know, when I was in Saudi Arabia, things shifted. When I was in Turkey, things shifted. When, when I was in Morocco, things shifted. When I was in, you know, different places that I've been, when I was in Japan, things shifted. Like a lot of the, a lot of your preconceived notions are, you know, just just simply not right. You're just, you know what I mean? And and that comes from a lot of, you know, the media or what we think that we know may know about a group of people versus actually spending time in their presence in their company, in their country. Um, so, you know, I just think it's important, you know, to, you know, remind the listeners, man, if you guys, after COVID passes, I would highly suggest if there's not one thing I you think what people should really take away from the pandemic is people need to travel. You know, you've been stuck in home for a year. Okay. Now it's time to travel, get out there, see the world and, 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 and challenges your, challenge your own self with your, your notions and your beliefs, what you thought you may have uh, knew prior going into it, you know? So, you know, get a passport. You don't have to get three, but definitely one. <laughs> At least one. I recommend it. Well, and, and my big thing is the biggest takeaway as well. And I'll, I'll always advocate strongly for our international students. The international program does such amazing work with them. And unfortunately they get given a bad rap a lot. We've seen the, the community um, kind of viewpoint on international students, how it's very negative in, in years past towards international students. And uh, a lot of people do have a lot of pre preconceived notions of them. I was once part of that group and a lot of what I can, you know, sometimes hear from other students, staff and faculty are like, oh, the Swedish students are like this. Oh, our Chinese students are like this, you know, are, you know, and kind of grouping them together. But one thing I try to remind them as myself coming from Sweden is this, the group of Swedes that come over, they're a specific cohort of students that share that ideology and lifestyle and, and will to come over to the U.S. and study. It doesn't represent all of the Swedish, you know, 20 something year olds that come over here. And that's the danger of a single story is we're looking at this and categorizing as, oh, these are how Swedes are, or these are how our Chinese students are, or Korean students. And just looking at it as a single story is so dangerous because it's not representative of it. There's so many facets to it. So you can't take your experience with this one person and mold it as, and take it as, you know, the community or the culture as a whole. And so really being continually cognizant of that and traveling and experiencing it and being proactive in that is so important. Yeah. Those preconceived notions, they're not completely worthless. Like they'll get you maybe 50, 55% of the way. But if you're, you're trying to take that to make it a hundred percent and your point is made, yeah, that's not going to, that's not going to work. So, so you really have to compliment it's like analytics and sports i think about like all those all the analytics are important but if you don't watch the games what do, what do you really know you know so it's like all, all the your preconceived notions are this and that but until you meet someone and actually get to know them and and and, and meet more people and, and and really kind of especially because like i said individual we're all individuals by definition so there are literally you know over six billion different impressions on this planet right now let alone in the past and what's to come just right now six billion different perspectives on what this human condition is all about. So if you're not even getting to know but one or two and you're trying to make big old grand statements about things, yeah, it's, it's just, you kind of know what you're getting into before you even get into it, so. Definitely. And I would also say there's a lot of things right in front of us that we can also, you know, work to understand better and appreciate and, and work hard towards to be more inclusionary. Um, I've worked with the ASL program here on campus uh, for a couple of years 
past year with the pandemic has has slowed. Um, but uh, this this might be going into a different tangent. But on, in terms of deaf culture, especially, is being cognizant of that and that existing on our campus as well. We do we have two deaf um, faculty on our campus, Ignacio Ponce and and Cat, as well. They are a huge part of this campus and the ASL program and the work they've done is phenomenal in terms of being inclusionary for our deaf and hard of hearing students, which is one thing I did want to mention uh, with regard to this podcast is, uh, would it be possible to transcribe it as well, just for that accessibility as well? We do provide subtitles uh, on all of our episodes. You have to go oh, through our, to our Simplecast page to get them and they are done by Zoom. So they're not kind of all the way there, but yeah, they, they do a pretty good job for the most part. Um, so yeah, we do provide uh, trans, uh, transcripts for each episode that some of the timestamps get a little off because I do a little bit of, of uh, some slight edits, but they're about 95% of the way there awesome. in terms of quality. I can't speak on the call. They're definitely not going to pass like ADA muster, but yes, we, we, I do absolutely, I did think about that, uh, cognizantly. So we do have the zoom transcripts with every episode. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So yeah, so there's a lot of work that we can always do, um, not only out in the world, but also here at home in our own community as well. Absolutely. Well said. And I will definitely get uh, a link to that TED Talk into the show notes so folks can check it out and uh, kind of build on the conversation we, we, we've been having here because definitely worth having and definitely worth, uh, you know, expounding on even further because you can never, you can go, you can go forever on that. That's a, that's a topic you can discuss. For oh days. yeah. No, that's the thing where I'm like, oh, I can snowball and keep going forever. <laughs> yeah. Just like when we were talking about food and all of a sudden it was like QQ came up and we went another another 20 oh, and minutes. We that's that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. <laughs> exactly. So thank, thank you for that. All right, Akil, you want me to go again? You, you want to go? Oh, all right. All right, I'll go. Yeah, you go ahead. Bring I'll up go. Um, I got two two quick picks this week. Um, I wanted to mention two animated things. I did I did kind of comics last week. I'm going to do some animated stuff this week. Uh, Yasuke, which is on No, Netflix. that was me. That I was, was you? Say, okay, I'll stop. Yeah. I'll stop talking about Yasuke. No, we I'll can stop. both I'll talk wait. about No, I'll wait. We can both talk, I'll wait. We can both talk no, no, about it. No, no, because I got two. I got two. I got two. My second pick, my second pick, is going to be uh, Invincible, which is on Amazon streaming. Uh, full disclosure, my oldest sister is the executive producer of animation at Amazon. So she helped kind of bring that show to the, she works, she does, she works on all the animation. She's not like an animator. She's like the behind the scenes kind of person, but she, so she works on everything that's animated through Amazon studios kind of comes through her office. So she was a part of that process. And, uh, but it turned out really well. I was a fan of the comic before it kind of hit the, hit the screen and they did a great job kind of, bringing the comic to the screen and I'm kind of excited to see how they adapt some of the, the other storylines. It is very violent. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like grisly violent in terms of how like the show, but, but it's, it's kind of, it's needed to kind of tell that story. It's a superhero. Like it's like the boys kind of on Amazon, which is like a realistic superhero story, but the boys was live action and invincible was animated. And uh, I just thought they did a really good job and it's faithful to the comic. So if you're curious, if you're ever curious about it at all, it's definitely worth checking out. And yeah, it, uh, the first season is eight episodes and it ends kind of on a cliffhanger and it's uh oh yeah it was it was excellent and it's it's one of those things where she was telling me about the production and saying there were there were like moments where it was like you know touchy here and there but in terms of when it came out and the impact it's had all my friends are talking about it and we're just like it just it was just really good i mean if you can get over like the hyper violence aspect of it which is it, animated it's kind of comical you know it's superhero so people are going to get like ripped in half and stuff it, it happens but if once you get over that it's it's a really good show. It happens. It's, it's, like, it's like a it's like and it's a superhero family. So like the father is the Superman, and the son is this is you know he's he's he just got his powers, 
but it turns out that the father is like secretly kind of like has an evil kind of stuff running through. So I, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And then like, if you want to check it out, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. Invincible. And, and, and the guy who did Invincible comic also did Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman. So it's his two babies are Walking Dead and Invincible. And now they've both been adapted into good TV specials. And yeah, awesome. So nice. Nice plug, nice way to get a plug for my a family member in there, and also for, there you the show. Go. yeah. And, and the, the thing, that, and that the thing, the, the what I wanted to spin that off. The point I wanted to make is that it's not like when I, you know, we we all grew up, we're just chilling. Like it's not like my sister was this person, like really, like like she was into animation, but it wasn't like something where I looked at her like, oh, she's gonna get in there, you know, get into doing this animation one day. It's just one of those things where the experiences we had growing up, like we would all sit together and watch TV, or she's the one that showed me anime. Like she brought, she brought like a Kiran tape home and we watched it. Like little things like that, that, that I didn't think meant that much in the moment. Like they were, they were profound moments for me because of what I was learning in terms of, you know, being exposed to pop culture. But in terms of like having that profound kind of impression, I, I, I didn't know it was something that would kind of springboard into a career one day. And that's kind of how all of our lives end up being. You didn't, the little moments and things that you pick up on throughout your life, the experiences that, you, that are really like profound and meaningful to you, you don't know how other people kind of exist in those planes as well. Like, like experiences really profound to me, maybe weren't so to her and vice versa, where something else was like humdrum to her. I was like, well, you know, like, so, you know, like it, it's just kind of interesting to see how our lives played out and where that brought us. And the little moments and things that I can think of now that kind of led us on that path. And it's, it's just kind of cool. So. Nice. All right, Akil. I was so excited, too, because I'm like, man, listen, I know Hong likes to geek out <laughs> on, <laughs> on anime. And so I'm like, I'm going to give him, an, you know, it, it is AAPI month. And so I'm like, I'm going to try to step out here on the limb and do some anime, which is not like my forte or and, my And you lane. watched it? And yeah, I, I watched um, I watched the whole series, um, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's uh, always Yasuke. How do you pronounce it, Yasuke? I go, yeah, uh, I go Yasuke. Yeah. Yasuke. So you go fast and go like Yasuke, but you're like yeah, Yasuke. I'm used to saying Yasuke, but uh, yeah, yeah, Yasuke uh, works. Um, but uh, basically, and uh, we can tag team on this one. Um, oh yeah, since, since I'm sure you know. You went and you probably took a super deep dive, but basically <laughs> it's a story about an African man who comes to Japan in the 15th century, um, and he basically becomes a samurai. I believe he um, he was under uh, what's the guy's name? Um, I believe Nobunaga. It's, no, yeah, Nobunaga. Nobunaga. Yeah. Uh, what was his first name? It was Oda. Oda, 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 Oda yeah, Nobunaga. Nobunaga. And so. But uh, it's kind of, it's like the show that's on Netflix, it's an anime show, and it's kind of like telling his story. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's who, that's that was my pick for the week. Um, I One thing I did really like about it is, um, this is going to sound crazy, but I thought the music was really well done. Um, there was like that, that blend of like Japanese and hip hop kind of infused um, so it was good to see like the cultures kind of colliding and, and, and making, making beautiful things together. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, what else would you say about it, Hong? Yeah. So the, the music was done by a flying Lotus, you know, Flylo. he's a producer from LA. Uh, he does, he, he has a record label called brain feeder. He does kind of like, he has like a jazz bass, but he does a lot of electronic kind of production. So fly, the soundtrack is really good. Um, and, and, 
and it, and it is based on a true story in terms of Yasuke was you know served under Oda Nobunaga. The animation itself, there's like robots and magic involved, so it, it gets pretty fantastical pretty quick. But I kind of like that as well, you know, where where they they integrate some of the 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 classic anime tropes like you know giant mecha and things of that sort to to kind of add to the story. And, yeah, and it's just it's it's well done. The animation studios, uh, Mappa, they did um they've they've worked on a lot of stuff. They did the final season of Attack on Titan. Uh, they did this movie called In This Corner of the World, which I really loved. Um, so I knew the studio, and I think the animation is, is really well done. The action is pretty frenetic. Like, they did a good job animating the action. And it's just kind of a cool story because, it's, you know, the people think of Japan as this, like, you know, this isolationist, you know, just Japanese island. But seeing stories like this where Yasuke was in the 15th century, an African man who who, who ended up in the circle of one of the, one of the kind of Oda Nobunaga is like a Japanese heavyweight in terms of the daimyos of, you know, like the, the leaders yeah. of, the, of the island at the time. He's, I mean, the first time I've heard about him was from a video game it's called Nobunaga's Ambition. It's like a strategy game where you do like all this stuff. So just having that name out there, like I know that name from other sources and then was able to do that deep dive and knowing that Yasuke was able to get in kind of that upper echelon of, of being in that inner circle with him is is kind of a big deal, you know? So, so for, for something through a country... Uh, you know, you think of as this isolationist, you know, Japanese first kind of thing to, you know, that, that African man was able to kind of ingratiate. It shows you how relate, how interlinked all the cultures were even back then, you know, in terms of trade routes and, and people, you know, uh, you know, interacting with each other, like the Silk Road and between all this, between all these things, like the Silk Road in China, the naval routes in Japan, you can just see how, how the global culture was even back then was, was, we were all still kind of that that one one world at, at that time, even with kind of the isolationist conversations we have about history. You know, it's all it's all interlinked, and that's why I thought that it was a great story to highlight because not just that it's a good anime and good stuff, but it was just like, you know, the 15th century was pop was often popping just like just like it is today. So yeah, yeah. There's also a really good series too. It's called The Age of Samurai. Um, it's on Netflix as well. And it kind of talks about the history of the daimyos and how Japan kind of came about uh, being. And then there's a big section on there on where they, they look at Nobunaga and, and they talk about him and what his contribution was, how he actually basically united uh, uh, Japan under him. And he was the first one to kind of unite Japan. I mean, granted, it was done pretty brutally, but uh, he was the first one that actually made it happen. And uh, it was really interesting because, uh, you know, the history of um, uh, Yusuke is um, really interesting because, uh, you know, I'm thinking about 15th century. They say he was really tall in stature. He was like six feet. I guess the average Japanese person in that period of time, they're like five, 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 six. Um, how you must have just totally been like people are like probably bugging out. And I can testify to that. Um, I, you know, I've traveled to Japan several times. And one of the uh, the first times I, I had actually went to Japan, I actually went to Hokkaido, which is the northern island above Japan. And I was went to a small town. Well, it's actually kind of a bigger city. It's the second biggest city in Hokkaido. It's called the Sahikawa. And for a lot of uh, people, that was the first time they seen anyone black, right? And so I just remember the reactions of the kids and the streets and the people and that kind of thing where they're probably like, who, you know, they're just tripping out on me. And I've heard similar, similar stories from my mom. I mean, she was, you know, I was born in Japan and she always tells stories about, um, 
being in Japan in the 70s and people trying to touch her afro and touch her skin and all these different stories. And so it, in a lot of ways, it kind of resonated with me. Um, you know, uh, I just remember one night um, when I was in the Saikawa, uh, we, we went to a, a club and people were just bugging out on me. Like it so happened to be the night that I showed up, there was a rapper performing uh, from California. And so I walked in, people thought I was the rapper, but because what are the chances of two black people being <laughs> in this town the same weekend? And so I pretty much got like mauled because people thought I was the rapper, but it was pretty funny. It was just good times. And so again, alluding to your, your, your point Hong about how, um, you know, it's so intertwined in so many different ways. And so, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, it was kind of funny. I was thinking about you when I was watching it, huh? Cause I'm like, cause you know, I'm like, man, this is, you know, not really my stick. I'm not really a big anime guy, but it kind of opened up some things for me. So I'm hoping to explore that, that lane a little bit more, um, going, you know, in, in, in the future. So, but, uh, yeah, you got a good resource with your daughter. She, she, she knows, she probably knows all the good stuff. She'll yeah. She's, good. yeah. She's like always trying to tell me, you know, um, uh, you know, she reads and writes and stuff like that. So, uh, she, uh, was always like, try this and try that and try this. And, you know, I just, I'm still trying to get into, I'm learning, man. It's, it's tough for me because it's all like that futuristic type stuff. And I'm like, that's not really my lane, but yeah, I, definitely worth checking out. That I wasn't expecting that twist where they brought, where the robots started busting out. Cause I was expecting yeah. like a historical kind of drama. Cause yeah, me know, too. anime in Japan just runs kind of the gamut. You can have like serious stories, you can have the mm -hmm. robot stories sci-fi the fantasy so i was expecting kind of just like a true to life telling and then giant robots and magic start popping out. i'm like okay i know i know where we're going now no yeah. tentacle monsters at least luckily but you know <laughs> so i think they're yeah. actually making a movie out of it too as well i heard that there, there is that's in production there were plans um, originally i think chadwick boseman was, was yeah his star. yeah so I, I hope they keep the story i hope they revive the story because it was something i didn't know much about and now yeah, yeah it was yeah so yeah, that, that great picks this week. Definite, definite higher learning. And uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we ran, we ran a little long today because we got into it with the QQ and everything else, but all, all, all good knowledge, all nuggets of wisdom. Um, thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on and we hope, yes, absolutely. hope your career at SBCC is long and prosperous. Any, any last words you want to say before we sign off? Oh, thank you guys so much for inviting me on, right? <laughs> Final <laughs> shout outs. No, definitely. Thank you both so much for not only inviting me on, but doing this for our, our campus community as a whole. I think it's super important in bringing the, the conversation back and, you know, stirring it up again. I think it's it's really great. And just a big thank you to all the, the mentors that I've had throughout my career uh, at CC. And like we said, as it continues on from uh, to, you know, just... I don't want to say get that purse, but pretty much. <laughs> Thank you. I was getting ready to say it too. I'm glad you said it. I'm like, get all that cow purse. I mean, you're getting it. You're getting me in that mindset now. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the values of public sector, right? I mean, the, the, absolutely. You gotta look at that. No, but thank you guys so much. I super appreciate what you guys have been doing for the college. And likewise, we appreciate what you've done, get, getting getting to open that window and seeing seeing the things you're doing in the cashier's office and fiscal, fiscal services. I mean, really enlightening, really happy to hear about and, and uh, seems like you're making a, live, a difference in the lives of all of our students. So thank you much for that. And, and thank you all to our listeners. Um, until next time, this was Vaquero Voices. We'll see you next time, y'all.